Hi, I'm Varun Haran. I'm senior editor with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure today of speaking with James Heinzmann, the EVP Financial Services Solutions for Theta Ray. James is going to be talking to us about cross-channel fraud and the convergence between multiple fraud methods, traditional fraud methods, and cybercrime, and how it's becoming increasingly difficult for fraud detection systems to connect the dots between these different channels and detect criminal activity. James is going to be sharing some real-world examples and then also some recommendations on how practitioners can approach this challenge. Hi, James. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Varun. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, James. Just setting some context around this, what is cross-channel fraud exactly and where does it come from? Sure. So look, uh, cross-channel fraud is really an emerging problem that uh, banks are facing. And uh, bad actors are exploiting uh, multiple channels, multiple products, multiple regions. So they're really going across all the channels of the bank to perpetrate growing and more and more sophisticated attacks. Um, really, the rise of the digital channels has really precipitated this. So as banks are introducing these new channels, um, they face a lot of pressures. If you think about, you know, the rise of the fintechs, a lot of these fintech companies are offering bank-like uh, services and products, but they don't have the regulatory burden of a bank, and they don't have a lot of the legacy uh, technology uh, stacks that the banks do. So they're really putting a lot of pressure on the banks to move more rapidly onto these new channels. And oftentimes, as they move rapidly to keep up with business demands, their supervisory and control and risk management methods uh, lag behind. So we're starting to see uh, more and more of these kinds of attacks. Um, the other thing is when you think about all of the data that's in the winds now, you think about all of the breaches that have happened and the hundreds of millions of uh, personal information about customers that's out in the wind, uh, synthetic IDs and things like that are now becoming more and more prevalent as well. Sure. You know, and you also spoke to me a little bit before we started this interview about how cybercrime itself has evolved and how cybercriminal gangs are combining these multiple methods to avoid detection. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So in the past, cybercrime was denial of service, or maybe they were making a political statement or something like that. But now it's just for profit. And we really see a convergence of cybercrime and financial crime really coming together. And it's really adding a level of sophistication and complexity to these new attack vectors. This convergence has been going on for the last several years, but we're really seeing a spike now in how these two vectors are coming together. So let's get a little deeper into some of these methods. I mean, outside of the cyber realm, what are some of the methods? that these gangs or these cyber criminals use in conjunction with the cyber vector? Yeah, so uh, look, they're exploiting a lot of weaknesses. I mean, I mean, it, not not every not every cyber attack is even that sophisticated. Uh, you know, when you think you look back at the at the uh, you know the Equifax breach, you know, there's 140 million uh, people's uh, information was compromised, and it was it was you know because the the, the CTO didn't apply a, a security patch for a known vulnerability. Uh, so the the ability for um, for uh, bad actors to be able to penetrate these firms uh, with and get to a lot of data and a lot of information is um, is uh, it's a thin line. And um, and and though there's layers and layers across the, the cyber protection, you have layers of protection. Um, getting through these defenses is becoming easier and easier as the bad actors are using more and more sophisticated technology. You know, we're seeing that these cyber criminals, these financial criminals, are using artificial intelligence to attack banks. And you know, when they raid these shops, you know, they're using agile development methodologies. They're using Scrum teams and Epic 
graphics and storyboards. They're using um, some of these shops uh, are as, as sophisticated as commercial software development. And it's all focused on dealing money for banks. So the growing sophistication is really a big problem for the banks. And the exploitation of silos, whether they're data silos, business silos, regional silos, the fact that it's difficult for banks to have an enterprise view, holistic view of, uh, of their assets, uh, it, it exacerbates the problem. Right. Talk to me a bit about what the current systems are for fraud detection that are being used by these institutions and how are they failing? Yeah. So a lot of the current technology is really, it's rules-based, it's models-based, or it's, it's supervised models. And what that means is that's, that an expert, and, and I've worked for companies where I've been one of the experts writing models and developing rules to detect fraud and to identify bad actors within the data set. Now, it's really a challenge because a lot of these attacks are things that have never been seen before. They're zero-day attacks, they're new patterns. And so for the banks to keep up, to write models, to train, so supervised machine learning, we hear a lot about AI and machine learning, but supervised machine learning is where you take something that you know about, an attack that's happened in the past, and you train a system, you curate data, you do labels, you build models, you train the system to identify those things that you've seen before. But the problem is, is that doesn't work at all. It doesn't recognize at all the new attacks. Now, a lot of these rules and a lot of these models are available in the dark web. We hear that bad actors are able to actually gain access to uh, what these models and rules are. And if they know what the playbook is, it's very easy for them to develop uh, schemes that circumnavigate the existing controls. And uh, and we see that that's happened. So the other problem with the existing controls is one, so it's the false negatives. They're missing a lot of things and they're not catching the new attacks. The other thing that um, is, is the false positive rates. Um, you know, banks are choking on false positives. You know, we've seen reports in the market that, you know, they're generating 90 plus percent false positives. So it's very expensive to continue to operate these systems that are generating a lot of false positives and even worse, having false negatives. And when you combine that with, uh, again, with the sophistication of the attacks, and if you're trying to defend yourself against artificial intelligence with rules or supervised models, it's like showing up to a gunfight with a knife. Effectively, what you're saying is that uh, criminals are taking advantage of the gaps and the silos that exist within organizations, on top of which they're using very advanced, sophisticated techniques with, you know, a supervised kind of an approach to fraud detection cannot address. Yeah, that's right. And think about it this way. If I'm at a bank and I find an attack, first of all, how long does it take me to find it? It could take me a while. But so once I find it, then what do I have to do? Well, I have to understand it. Then I have to write a business requirement to how do I address it. Then someone has to code that. Then they have to test it. Then they have to deploy it. How long does that cycle take at a big bank? Take quite a while to detect and then to create and then to develop and then deploy. Uh, by the time they get it into production, the fraudster is already off to the next thing. And so trying to do these supervised models is very, very difficult just because of the amount of time and resources it takes to deploy them. Right, right. So, you know, I want to get a bit into the recommendations and best practices, maybe even an idea for what uh, machine learning or what, you know, this unknown, unknown detection, uh, what the methodology for that can be. But before we do that, do you have any real world examples? Uh, maybe give uh, the listeners a flavor of how this cross-channel fraud works out in the real world? Yeah, I'll give you a couple examples. I'll start with a simple one. So the simple one is, you know, you know, ATMs are really just connected devices. And what happens now is is that bad actors are actually, they just hack into the ATM networks. And what they do is they manipulate the sensors in the ATM. So they'll turn off the camera. They'll activate the actuator to open the door and they'll activate the motor to spin the wheel and spit cash out. Now all the bad actor has to do is uh, hire money mules to show up at street corner at appointed times with a bag to catch the cash that comes out of the ATM. 
Now, this is an interesting challenge for banks because there's no customer, there's no account, there's no card, there's no pen, there's no financial transaction. So if you're just monitoring your ATMs and you're and you're only looking at those kinds of financial transactions, you'll never find it. In fact, one bank um, that we've done some work with, uh, they were losing a lot of money through their ATM channel and they couldn't figure out why. They couldn't figure out how. They just knew they were losing money. And actually, the way they identified the scheme is, you know, they were trolling social media to see, you know, how social media was reacting bank. And they actually found an advertisement for money mules. That's how they figured out that they had a problem. And then once they reverse engineered it, they kind of figured it out. That's where they brought in some unsupervised machine learning technology to help them identify it. Now, that's a more simple one, but it's become more and more. You've heard about jackpotting and some of the more recent attacks. Let me talk about a more sophisticated one. This one happened in Europe. It's called Karabinek. It was initiated, I think it was a Ukrainian national who initiated this attack. Basically, what they did is it affected over 100 banks in 14 countries. The scheme went over four years and it was undetected for four years. And they got estimated around a billion dollars, maybe more. I'm not sure they know exactly. But what they did is they initiated a spear phishing campaign against bank employees. And um, and so they sent these militia emails and it only takes one to open it and so they got into the bank system then what they would do is they would inflate the balances in accounts so let's assume you had a 50,000 euro bank account what they would do is they would inflate the balance to a million and fifty thousand euros then what they did is they they would use multiple channels to move the money out of the bank in some cases they would do an ATM attack like I mentioned where they would just manipulate the sensors in the ATM and they would spit a bunch of cash out to decrement the account from a million and fifty thousand back down to fifty thousand. So they didn't steal your money. Um, they stole the bank's money and you, the unknowing customer, didn't realize that your account had even been impacted because they decremented it down to the fifty thousand. Now the other thing that they did is banks have a you know control mechanism where they record and they monitor the people who process payments. So they actually read their screen as an oversight function to monitor the people processing payments. Now what these guys did is they hacked into that control mechanism and they observed how employees process payments and then they mimicked real behaviors of employees to process payments, again, to send the money out of these accounts that they deflated value. So they used that this is a very sophisticated attack, very sophisticated malware. They penetrated the bank systems. They inflated the balances of the accounts. They decremented value and stole the money out of the accounts through ATMs and through processing legitimate or what appeared to be legitimate payments, mimicking the uh, the behaviors of the employees that they had observed. We don't know if they'd use supervised models. We think they may have used supervised models to mimic the employee behavior. That's another discussion. The other thing that they did is then they took the, a lot of the proceeds, the money that they got out of the bank, and they and they laundered it through uh, cryptocurrency. So this is a, a very sophisticated attack that went on for four years. They actually had evolved their malware and made it even more robust over time. But it was a very complex scheme that netted over a billion dollars. Well, that's really scary. I mean, we, we are all talking about machine learning and AI right now in the, in the security and fraud space. But it sounds like the bad guys are way ahead of us and they've been using these unsupervised techniques for a while now. Well, yeah, they're using artificial intelligence for sure. And really the only answer, the only way to defend yourself is to use more sophisticated and advanced techniques. And and that's where unsupervised machine learning really comes in. You know, the idea of uh, a system that's able to adapt the data, that's able to process all of the different data types. You know, I talked about ATMs, talked about cyber attacks where you have network and security information, you have system access logs and device footprints, you have sensor data, you have financial transactions, all of these different types of data, scattered data from the motors of the ATMs, like all of this kind of data combined, it's very difficult to find a needle in a haystack. Really, it's like finding a needle in a stack of needles. It's really impossible to do with um, the legacy technology that banks have been using. And we see a real big movement into these more advanced technologies that are
that are able to identify the unknown unknowns and that are able to identify these uh, new and emerging attacks, you know, as they occur and not well after the fact. So what are your recommendations, you know, vis-a-vis moving from uh, the existing setup, the existing information systems that you have for fraud detection and moving more into this unsupervised machine learning supported model? Uh, How do you recommend organizations approach that? Yeah, so there's a number of things. First of all, look, you know, when I was a chief compliance officer at a bank, one of the things that I did is I just looked across, what are my controls? What do I have really good controls in? What, uh, you know, what do I have marginal controls in? And where am I naked? Like, where where am I, where do I really have a problem? And obviously, that's where you start first. So where are you losing money now? Where are the attacks happening? You want to do that kind of assessment, and I'm sure all the banks do. And then you really want to understand the environments that you're trying to deploy into. It's very important to really assess what kind of, te- what's your technology stack look like today? Almost all of the banks now have whatever, Bank 2.0, a Bank of the Future project. They have innovation teams. Um, they're doing a lot of work and making a lot of investments and really moving the banks forward. And a lot of those back office systems that have been around for 40 years, maybe maybe even longer, um, they're really now having to modernize all of that technology. So make sure you have the right strategy and that you're deploying the right kind of technology. There's a lot of noise in the market about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and neural nets, and deep learning. And there's a lot of these buzzwords out there. But the key is that it's to find the technology that's that's really truly unsupervised, you know, non-cognitive, intuitive, um, artificial intelligence that can identify these zero-day attacks. Make sure that it's an operationalized system, that it's a system that that actually can be deployed on large data, on big data sets, that's scalable and extensible across your enterprise. And you also want to make sure that you're looking for technologies that are API-based. So you want to see northbound and southbound APIs. You want to be able to integrate easily within your environment. And then you probably, you know, most of the banks, what they're doing is they'll bring these new technologies in, they'll run them kind of side by side, they'll run them parallel, they'll do some benchmarking, they'll make sure that they're um, identifying all of those uh, events that are important, that they're reducing their false positives, increasing their detection rates, and running parallel systems for some period of time to enhance and augment their existing controls. And then over time, they're retiring those legacy systems and really moving on now to the new technology platform. You know, a lot of the things that they have in place today, they've been there for so long. I mean, I was helping to build and design system, you know, 15 years ago that are these rule-based and these model-based technologies. And, you know, when you have technology in-house for that period of time, it really becomes a piece of infrastructure. And so you can't just rip and replace these things, but you need to have a really good strategy so that you can run these things side by side. You can get the benefits of enhancing and augmenting the existing controls, and then you can phase them out over time. Right, right. Makes sense. You know, we spoke a bit about silos before, and it occurs to me that, you know, if you have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, a, a technology like this, which looks across functions, across processes, across departments and divisions, there are bound to be those problems you have with silos, again, you know, that exist in organizations that have always existed in organizations. So when it comes to deploying technologies like this, how do you circumvent or how do you overcome that challenge? Yeah, so there's a there's a number of issues. I mean, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, there's there's a number of silos. There's business silos, there's product silos, there's regional silos, there's data silos. You know, GDP is a you know, global data privacy is a big uh, big issue, and so it's it's a challenge for banks. First of all, just to get all that data together. You know, most banks have uh, have embarked upon um, you know you know creating data lakes, and as they dump more and more data into the data lakes, they become data sewers uh, because you have so much data now. It's a, it's hard to find the things that are in plain sight. 
right that are buried buried beneath these uh, layers of data. So so being able to have the right tools and techniques to be to, to, to be able to have an enterprise view and to be able to draw insight, actionable insights um, from these uh, disparate data sources and that go across silos and regions of products. Uh, being able to connect things like uh, business activity and payments uh, is a is a is a big deal. Um, it's uh, it's surprising sometimes to see how few of the dots actually are connected. And so having a technology that's scalable, extensible, that's a true big data platform, and that enables you to have that uh, holistic view to be able to see all of the activity across business silos, across regional silos, and across data silos is uh, it's imperative in today's world. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with us today. Thank you very much. Uh, most appreciated. So that was financial crime expert James Heinzman, who is EVP for Financial Services Solutions at Theta Ray. For ISMG, this is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.